0: You're listening to audio from Park Church. More info and resources are online at parkchurch.org. Take care. Good morning, Park Church. This morning's scripture reading is from Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. Again, that's Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately, he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened so to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven came and said, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Good morning. How's everybody doing today? Good, good. Uh, my name is Joel. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. We're so excited that you've joined us today. Uh, if you are with us online as well, uh, welcome to you. We're so glad that you have joined us. Um, just before I jump into our sermon, I want to give a, an announcement, an update. Uh, nine months ago, we entered into a merger uh, with a church downtown called Grace City. Um, and we formed a new church down there called Park Church downtown. So we have Park Church Highlands, Park Church Downtown. Um, a couple months ago, uh, we mentioned that we were walking through some leadership challenges uh, in the downtown congregation. And then as we've walked through this process, uh, it has revealed some significant differences as well as some places of hurt, uh, some pain uh, to many of our leaders as well as to some of the uh, who are down there. Um, and our hope really for this two-month process to take a break, say, we're, let's get some clarity on this. Where are we at? How do we walk out of this time as united, as Possible, as possible. And uh, during these two months, we've uh, processed as an elder team. We also enlisted a third party uh, called Crosspoint Ministries who offered us decades of experience uh, from a church perspective. And the short of it is kind of coming out of these two months, all 13 elders and Crosspoint Ministries have kind of agreed as a, as a kind of a direction together. The best path forward would be to decouple the merger, to decouple the merger. What do I mean? And so instead of having two congregations. Park Church Highlands and Park Church Downtown, we're going to go back to just having Park Church, which will be in the Highlands, and then Grace City will continue to meet in the asterisk building downtown. Um, All the staff that went downtown, so Miguel and Ryan and those that went downtown, will be coming back up to the Highlands. And so we're announcing, we actually announced this downtown today. Um, As you might imagine, um, this is probably a place of confusion for some, pain for others. Um, It's humbling, it's disappointing for us as a leadership team. We didn't kind of set out in this merger to say, hey, we really want to start something, and then kind of nine months later, stop that. And yet, that's where we are right now. Um, We feel like this is the best direction that we need to take, and so we're asking a ton of prayer from you all, and also grace during this time. Another ask for you in particular, uh, for those that come back up from the highlands, you can imagine they're going to be a mixture of uh, some with pain, different experiences, some hurt, some I've talked to are excited to come back up here, and yet all of them are probably just like a weird mixture of those things, and so how do we stand um, as a safe place for those returning, and we want to welcome them in and say, hey, we love you guys, how are you doing? Um, And we want to be a safe place to process those things. and allow them to find love, care, and prayer the best way we can. Um, if you have any questions about it, um, come talk to me. Uh, Neil Long is here as well. In fact, Neil, come on up. I'm going to ask Neil to pray for the downtown congregation. And even just moving forward, um, we're going to ask that the Spirit would just be moving in as united, uniting in His ways as possible. Um, and uh, so, Neil, can you uh, pray for us?
2: Yeah, let's pray. Uh, Father, thank you that your, your purposes stand. Uh, where we... Fail where we are humbled, uh, you sit beautifully and, and powerfully on your throne, uh, but not in so, some sort of way that's distant or disconnected from uh, the pain or the questions or the confusion. I uh, just think even uh, of those downtown who uh, received the, the announcement and, and kind of talked through a, in a broader conversation this morning, uh, just please meet with them in, in very particular ways. Just by your spirit, may you comfort them. Um, how this lands differently for different people, the different areas of, of pain or frustration or just lingering questions they have. Uh, may there be such a, a grace and a, a receptivity um, and a trust toward you, uh, not, not toward a leadership team and a decision um, because we, we are imperfect as well, um, but, but rather a trust in the perfect God who, who loves his church, who loves Park Church, who loves Grace City, uh, who loves the people who, uh, who, who went downtown, who have, have given up much to be a part of what's happening there, um, yeah, who loves the, the really good fruit uh, the, the really good things that have happened over the past uh, nine months through this, through this merger. Uh, so we just ask for your grace. Uh, thank you that you, you meet us in the places of weakness and brokenness. In fact, you, you often do your greatest work uh, to glorify yourself and to show that it's not by our great plans or strategies or what we can figure out, but it's by your power, by your presence, by your might, by your, your majesty and your character, uh, your faithfulness to your people uh, through the, uh, the covenant that you've made, that, that the love that you've given to us. Uh, that, that's where we stand. That's where we find hope. Uh, so encourage us, strengthen us, just, just build us up in a, uh, a genuine hope and joy uh, in, in who you are and what you've accomplished and what you're going to continue to accomplish, that your kingdom is not threatened by any of this, uh, but rather it continues on. And, and may your name be glorified uh, through the, uh, the days and months and years ahead. I pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.
1: Amen. Thank you guys, uh, I appreciate your prayers. And if you have any questions, by all means, uh, talk to us or we can set up a time to uh, chat as well later. Uh, we're in the middle of our series in this new year called Pastoral Words for the New Year. And our hope for these sermons really is that we look at the year ahead of us and say, God, what do you have in store for us? Uh, for us as a church, for us as a people, where are we headed? What are we praying that God cultivates in the soil of our hearts? And so today I'm going to be talking about the need that each of us have to depend on the Holy Spirit in this new year. Dependence on the Spirit. What we need in this new year are not necessarily more resolutions or more willpower. What we need in this new year. Is more reliance and dependency on the Holy Spirit. And so I'm not sure where each of you are at on your spiritual journeys. Uh, Some of you might not be Christians, and so this will be an interesting topic for you. I hope even some of your longings for spirituality will be met and stirred in this time. Some of you might just be coming back to the faith. Some of you might have been hurt by topics like this, and that's where you are. Wherever you are, I hope that God invites you and us today. To look to him and say, we want to learn to live and depend on you more and more in this new year. And so I want to just pray just before we jump in. Um, I, know, I know that we need him, and we need him to open our eyes to see him and his word. So let's pray together. Uh, Jesus, you love us, and you've given us your word. And we want uh, the eyes of our hearts to be open to see you. And we ask that you would open our eyes to see wonderful things in your word today. We want to see wonderful things in your words. We want to be confronted where we need to be confronted. We want to be challenged where we need to be challenged. We want to be encouraged where we need encouragement. And would you do that in us right now? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As Michael said at the beginning of the call to worship, today is Epiphany Sunday. How many of you are like, I have a very clear understanding of what Epiphany is? Right? Uh, if you didn't grow up in the church, you probably don't know what Epiphany is. Uh, if you did grow up in the church and you grew up in a non-denominational evangelical church, you probably don't know what Epiphany is either because you know the two events in the liturgical calendar for the non-denominational world are Christmas and Easter, right? So those are the two that you celebrate. And yet the Christian calendar celebrates way more than just the birth of Christ and the resurrection of Christ. Epiphany Sunday happens 13 days after Christmas on January 6th, and then the Sunday after it is called Epiphany Sunday. And the word epiphany comes from the Greek word manifestation or appearance. This day focuses in on the going public of Jesus in ministry. It's a, in a trumpet blast declaring to the world that Jesus is light not only of the Jews, but also of the Gentiles, and that is good news for all of us. Epiphany historically focuses in on three main stories from the life of Jesus. So we have the visitation of the Magi of Jesus when he was a baby. They brought gifts to him. You also have like the first party trick that Jesus performed in Cana, right? Turning water into wine. So Jesus was going public in his ministry. And then thirdly, the passage that we read uh, just before, which uh, is the baptism of Jesus. And it was where Jesus was about to begin his ministry. And so this last story is what we're going to be uh, using today to set the table for our time together. Um, Epiphany is an invitation to once a year to go down to the shores of the Jordan River where Jesus was baptized by his cousin who was appropriately named John the Baptizer. And what unfolds at this fairly unimpressive little river yet symbolic river in Israel Is actually a unique view into a great mystery of the faith, which is the Trinity Father, Son, Holy Spirit. All in one place, in one time, we see the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. So let me just do a quick recap of what we saw. In Matthew's account, we we read that immediately after Jesus came out of the waters, what opened up? The heavens. The heavens opened up. Uh, The Gospel of Mark describes the heavens as tearing open. It's interesting uh, to note that one of the commentators I read while I was studying for this observed that Jesus' public ministry began with the tearing, the sky tearing open. And then at the end of his ministry, when he passed away, there was a tearing of a veil. So his, in a sense, his public ministry was bracketed by tearings. God was making a way for us to be in relationship with his son. Suddenly, the spirit of God after the t- t- skies, the heavens opening up, the Spirit is descending like a dove, which ultimately is kind of like a throwback, an allusion to both the book of Genesis, where the, the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters like a bird, but also even Noah, where, where it, was the, it was the end of the flood, it was the end of judgment, and this was a symbolic act, the dove went out. We hear a voice from heaven speaking, it's the voice of the Father himself Professing his love, his pleasure, and his son, and the whole the whole scene is breathtaking. Imagine if you were down there, a bunch of people like you're just seeing people getting baptized, and all of a sudden Jesus gets baptized, and all of the skies tears open. This dove come down, rests on this guy, and then you hear a voice. It's it's a it's an amazing scene, and in a sense, this baptism was the starting line of Jesus' public ministry. It also marked the beginning of God doing a new work, a new creation. A new Adam who would live a perfect life that we could never live on our own. They're at the Jordan River. Ultimately, he's a new Moses. He's a new Joshua leading people out of captivity into the true promised land. And so I want to ask all of us a question today. What do Epiphany and the baptism of Jesus have to do with us today in Denver? Uh, Before I answer this question, I want to play a little game of would you rather? Uh, how many of you guys have played Would You Rather? It's a pretty simple, you know, you ask two questions, right? Uh, so, you know, the classic one was like, you know, would you rather fight uh, one horse-sized duck or 100 duck-sized horses? It's a pretty interesting one. You can learn a lot per- about a person and the way they answer that and their strategy for that battle, that gory battle. Um, another really intense one is would you rather talk like Yoda or breathe like Darth Vader for the rest of your life? It's a tough choice. (laughs) Part church. You know. um, uh, So here's a bit more of a spiritual would you rather. Would you rather walk and live your life beside Jesus but without the Holy Spirit or live your life apart from Jesus but with the Holy Spirit inside of you? I want to repeat this question. Would you rather walk and live your life beside Jesus, so he's kind of next to you as a companion, just faithfully going along beside you or live your life apart from Jesus but with his Holy Spirit inside of you? What would you rather? Generally, I found myself saying things like this, man. I just wish I could have been one of the disciples to see what Jesus was like, how he answered people. Other times, I wish he could be sitting right next to me helping me make a particular decision so I don't have to look down at that stupid little WWJD bracelet and be like, what would Jesus do? Oh, hey, Jesus, what would you do if you were me, right? And you could just ask him. That would be a great thing. What's crazy about this is that Jesus had a different answer for this question than I had. In John sixteen seven, Jesus says this, "'Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. "'It is to your advantage that I go away.'" For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. I want to read this again. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So if Jesus answered the same question today, he'd say, I would rather leave and have you be filled with the Spirit than have me stay beside you without the Spirit filling you. In the words of pastor and author J.D. Greer, Jesus claimed that having the Holy Spirit in them would be better than having him beside them. The Holy Spirit in us is better than Jesus beside us. And that's a big claim. And so back to my original question for the day, what does Epiphany and what do the baptism of Jesus have to do with us today? Epiphany is first and foremost a reminder to us of where Jesus' power for life and ministry came from. And that leads us to our first point. Jesus lived his life dependent on the power of the Spirit. I'm going to repeat that. Jesus lived his life dependent on the power of the Spirit. For so long, I thought that everything that Jesus did, he did out of his godness. Well, he was God, right? When Jesus resisted temptation, he resisted temptation as God would have. If he performed a miracle, of course he can perform a miracle because he's God. If he cast out a demon, yeah, well, God would of course do that, right? Right? It's not that impressive because it was Jesus, and he's God. Jesus is God, and that's true. And yet, I kind of saw this like I, like I, I would have if I worked with Clark Kent, and I found out that he was Superman, and I saw him flying around out of an office window one day, or if I saw somebody shoot him and a, and a bullet bounced off his chest, would I be surprised? I'd be like, well, no, like Clark Kent is Superman, so of course he was doing that stuff because he's Superman, right? That's how I saw the ministry of Jesus. I'm like, of course Jesus is doing all these things because he's God. God should do impressive things if he lived as a human. And yet I want to say this, my understanding of, God, of this got shattered after I came to realize something profound about the ministry of Jesus, something that I had missed in the Bible about Jesus's relationship to the Holy Spirit, We think often about Jesus' relationship with the Father, how he was obedient to the Father, how he had intimacy with the Father, how he he listened to his Father. But for some reason, I heard a lot less about his relationship with the Holy Spirit. What epiphany draws out in Jesus' baptism and all that ensued is a powerful reminder that the Spirit was key to all that Jesus did from that point on. We might be tempted to see the Holy Spirit coming down like a dove as merely a symbolic act, but it's much more than that. It's a transformative act for Jesus and a clear marker and sign of how he was going to move forward in his ministry. And so I actually want you guys to see this with your own eyes because it took me seeing this in various places of scripture. I'm like, wait, really? That's how Jesus did things? I thought he just he was doing it because he was God. So I want to show you guys in scripture. Um, and in particular, uh, the book of Luke um, makes this connection very clear. And so open your Bibles if you can to Luke chapter 4, verse 1. Luke chapter 4, verse 1. As you, as you open it up to Luke chapter 4, it's two books after Matthew. Um, I'm, I'm gonna give a quick intro to this. This in Luke 4, this immediately follows his baptism. There's a genealogy right before, and then right before that, we see the baptism. Of Jesus. And so Luke 4 1 is immediately following the baptism. And this is what Luke 4 says. says. And Jesus, full of whom? The Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by whom? The Spirit, in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. And then again, it gives a list of the temptation. So again, as we see this, Jesus was baptized. The Spirit didn't merely descend like a dove and then Baal is like, hey, Jesus, I'll see you in a few days. I'll be back whenever you need me. Jesus was filled with the Spirit. He was full of the Spirit. And it didn't end there. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And while he was there, he resisted temptation by the power of the Spirit. Look down to verse 14, Luke 4, 14. And Jesus returned in the power of whom? The Spirit to Galilee, and a report of him, about him went out throughout, uh, through all the surrounding uh, country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. So Jesus returned, he went into the wilderness, being led by the Spirit. He was led out of that time of wilderness, empowered by the Spirit. Jesus was reliant on the Spirit. It didn't end just there. Luke 4, 18, look a couple verses down. He goes into the synagogue and he reads this from the the book of Isaiah. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then get this. And he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and sat down and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. So they're looking at Jesus And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord was upon Jesus. And that's how he was doing all of those things. The Holy Spirit was the essential agent in Jesus' ministry. It's how he did what he did. Jesus' ministry was a demonstration of the power of the Spirit in a human's life, not simply a demonstration of Jesus' godness. The list goes on and on. He healed by the power of the Spirit. He rejoiced in the Holy Spirit as he praised his Father. He gave commands by the Spirit. We're told in Romans 8:11 that even his resurrection was done by the power of the Spirit. What's crazy is as, as you read this in the Gospels, you realize this: that you can't make sense of the life and ministry of Jesus apart from the ministry of the Holy Spirit in Jesus' life. That's a powerful statement. It leads me to the next question well, if that's true of jesus was jesus dependence and reliance on the holy spirit kind of a one and done he was reliant enough for us and then we don't need to rely on him and that leads us to our next point. point point number two we just like jesus live our lives dependent on the power of the spirit as well we like jesus live our lives dependent on the power of the spirit as well jesus wasn't the only one who needed the spirit in a sense The scene of Jesus' baptism is one that we all live into, that we participate in. We're baptized into Christ and we're filled with his spirit. His journey post-baptism becomes our journey where we learn to rely and be led by the spirit to resist temptation, to be full of the spirit, to come out and be led by him into all things. As we look at the New Testament, the movement from Jesus' death, following his resurrection through the book of Acts. Through the letters of the New Testament, we see nothing short of a continuation of that exact same reliance that Jesus had on the Spirit by his disciples as well as the early church. Jesus was committed to not only living by the power of the Spirit, he was also committed to his own followers living the exact same way. In John 20, verse 22, this is immediately after Jesus' resurrection, the disciples are freaked out. They, they think they're getting hunted down, and so they're in a locked room. So they're kind of hanging out, and they're like, what in the world? They've heard rumors of Jesus being raised from the dead. Jesus suddenly shows up in this locked room, which is freaky in and of itself, right? He shows up there, and what does he do? What's his first order of business? We're told that he says, receive the Holy Spirit, and he breathes on them. He saw the Holy Spirit as an essential piece, not only of his own life, but also his disciples to carry on his ministry, this so wasn't just limited to his, his close disciples. In Acts 1-4, Jesus calls 120 men and women alike to wait for the outpouring and the baptism of the Spirit. We see the gospel spreading through the book of Acts and through from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. And we see a powerful dependence on the Holy Spirit by the early church and the Spirit being poured out on diverse groups of people. Many call the book of Acts the acts of the apostles, but truly these are the acts of the Spirit in the church. It's Jesus' ministry continued through the Spirit. As the gospel continues to go out, people become followers of Jesus. Churches grew and in turn were persecuted and scattered. We find letters and epistles being written by others to encourage them, to build them up. And what are they instructing them to do? They're instructing them to call the church to rely on the Holy Spirit. There's a book written called The Presence and the Power of God, written by Gerald Hawthorne. Um, It's an amazingly thorough book on this very topic, on Jesus' relationship with the Holy Spirit. There's a great quote. He says this. The significance of the Holy Spirit in the life of Jesus extends to His followers in all of the little and the big things of their existences. The Spirit that helped Jesus overcome temptations, that strengthened Him in weakness that aided him in the hard job of taking on himself the hurts of the hurting, that infused him with the power to accomplish the impossible, that enabled him to stay with and complete the tasks God had given him to do, that brought him through death and into resurrection, is the spirit that the resurrected Jesus has freely and lavishly given to those who would be his disciples today. Friends, Jesus is not merely savior. He is also a model for Living, He's our example of what it means for a human to live in perfect dependency on the Spirit of God. Uh, sadly, there's a deficiency in Reformed circles, which in general does a great job at highlighting all of the things that Christ has accomplished for us, which is good, it's important, it's necessary, it's true, it's beautiful. But sadly, we can miss other important aspects of the gospel, including the gospel's trajectory in our lives, which include the reality that is Jesus is Savior, but Jesus is also Lord. We're to believe in him. or to put our trust in him, but also we're to follow him. or to take on a life that looks like his. Christus victor, the Christ who's the victorious one, is also Christus exemplar, Christ our example. That's who Jesus is. Jesus didn't merely die for us, but he also showed us a better way to live, and he leads us into that life. And part of that good life is precisely found in this dependence on the Spirit. Sam Storms, my old pastor in Oklahoma City, said this about Jesus. Jesus is our model for how God wants us to live in humble, reliance, trust on the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, we can reasonably expect to be like Jesus, to live like Jesus, only to the degree that we draw from the same divine power on which he faithfully relied, the Holy Spirit. So what about you? Are you drawing on the same divine power as Jesus did? Are we as a church drawing on the same divine power as Jesus did? Be careful in all of your new year planning and organization to not miss out on this dynamic relationship with God. If our reliance on the Spirit isn't included in our rules of life and our new year planning, we have missed it. And I think we need to go back to the drawing board. I love... Bono's quote when he said religion is what happens when the spirit has left the building there's another quote from A.W. Tozer and it says this if the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from church today 95% of what we do would go on and no one would know the difference if the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the New Testament church 95% of what they did would stop and everybody would know the difference ouch are you building a spiritless religion around you that has no need for God? Are we building a spiritless religion around we don't have a need for God, or are we seeking to follow Jesus and His practices and dependence on the spirit? I want to look at Romans 8:11, if you want to open there. Sorry to keep you guys jumping around. This is all really good stuff, though, by the way. God's word. Romans 8 verse 11 This question, man, goodness. Romans 8:11 If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. I want to read this again and let this sink in. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Let that sink in. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. The same spirit who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to our mortal bodies because he dwells in in us this should spark a few things in our hearts if we actually believe it to be true first of all we should be humbled and dumbfounded at the mount of power that is within us the spirit of him who raised jesus from the dead dwells in you do you ever feel weak i do all the time and yet christ is strong within us by his spirit The same spirit that empowered Jesus with everything he needed is the same spirit that fills and empowers his disciples today. Who are his disciples? Those who know and put their trust in Jesus and follow him. Jesus didn't have a different spirit than us. He didn't have an extra dose of the spirit. He didn't have a Holy Spirit senior while we're stuck with Holy Spirit junior. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the same spirit that fills us. This truth should increase our faith. In the same way that the heavens tore open as Jesus was baptized, we realize that by the Spirit of God, our human limitations are torn open as well. No longer have they the ceiling or the final word in our lives. Why? Because the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, lives within us, and He can do more than we can ask or imagine. That's amazing. He lives within us. My goodness. So in closing, what are some practical ways that we all can depend more on the Holy Spirit in our lives. And I hope to offer you three helpful exhortations today. The first one is this. Dependence on the Holy Spirit is not easy or automatic. Dependence on the Holy Spirit is not easy or automatic. My wife... Uh, during COVID, she basically was like, I can't really get out of the house. So she started trail running a ton, right? She's like, I am like, I need to do something with myself. She started trail running. Last year, she did an amazing feat. She, she did the Imaging Pass race. How many of you guys have heard of that? Right? It's, it's, it's basically, you run from Ura to Telluride. It's over a mountain. It's 17 miles. You run up 10 miles and then down seven. And she's like, yeah, I want to do this. So she signed up. And again, she did a lot of training, trail running, uh, strengthening, all of these things. But she wasn't sitting on the couch until it was was game day, right? And then she's like, oh, I'm going to go run over a mountain, right? She was training. So many of us know that we have this race set before us, and yet we're kind of just sitting on the couch and we expect suddenly to be in shape when the time comes. And yet our spiritual lives are not this way. Our spiritual journeys take time and training as well. We want spirituality to be like some nifty life hack or like microwavable meal. We want quick results without much effort and that's not how it works. In the words of Nietzsche, it takes a long obedience in the same direction. None of us are born into spirit reliance. We need to be taught this. We're born into self-reliance. We hate relying on other people. Life is an unfolding journey of learning to rely on God in counterintuitive ways. If relying on the Spirit were easy, Paul wouldn't have had to exhaust his dictionary with a bunch of commands teaching us and calling us to trust and obey the Holy Spirit. Listen to some of them that he uses. Walk by the Spirit. Be led by the Spirit. Live by the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. If dependence on the Holy Spirit isn't automatic... Then, how do we do this practically? How do we do this in our own lives? And maybe a better question to ask, since Jesus is our model, is how did Jesus do it practically? If you poke around at Jesus' life, you will quickly see that not only was his outward ministry amazing, but his internal life with God was rich. He had a deep running well with his Father. You'll see him fighting to make space and time to be with his Heavenly Father through spiritual practices of prayer, of silence and solitude, of fasting, of memorization and meditation on Scripture, of fighting temptation with Scripture, of engaging in public worship with others. He was Sabbathing. He practiced simplicity and generosity. And each of these practices shaped him in his life outside of that time, how he saw and treated his enemies, how he cared for the poor and the outcast, how he viewed money, as I've sought to grow in spiritual disciplines, very few authors have shaped my understanding of formation like Dallas Willard. I want to give you um, a quote from Dallas Willard as well. It says this, We can become like Christ by doing one thing, by following Him in the overall style of life He chose for Himself. If we have faith in Christ, we must believe that He knew how to live. Let me read that last line again. If we have faith in Christ, we must believe that He knew how to to live. We must follow not only Jesus' teaching but also his way of life. Jesus was the godliest but also the smartest human who ever lived. If you think about that, it shouldn't be weird to desire to emulate his way of life. It's easy, but it's it's not easy, but it's worth it. It takes one step, one practice at a time. It's incremental and steady, it's not instant and effortless. Sweat is involved, much to our chagrin, right? All right, second point here on uh, dependence on the Holy Spirit is not easy or automatic. Second thing is practice the presence of God. Practice the presence of God. Friends, none of us practice these things alone. I mentioned a list of things, not because I'm trying to load you up with the weighted things to do, but these are ways of meeting with the God of the universe. You might recognize This phrase, practice the presence of God, it comes from a book written by a French monk named Brother Lawrence called The Practice of the Presence of God. And he was known for walking in continual conversation with God, even doing activities he wasn't the most fond of, like the dishes. Does anybody relate? Right? He'd use those as opportunities for intimacy and engagement with God because he knew he was never alone. He understood that he needed to practice the reality that God was with him. And so we need to do the same too. We need practices that shift our understanding and say, God is actually with us. So in the mornings, I try to read my Bible. So often I can read my Bible without regard for God. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Sometimes I can spend a time in prayer, but without really focusing on God, I'm focusing more on the prayer. I'm focusing more on the words in front of me instead of the person who I'm actually engaging with. And so sometimes it takes little practices, little shifts to remind my forgetful heart that God is with me. So I've been lighting a candle in the mornings, and I've been like, God, you're with me. Remind me that you're with me. Sometimes I take a couple minutes of silence just to slow down. It's annoying for me. I hate silence, you guys. I want to move to the next thing. But sometimes it's the shift of it that I was going to say, God is really with me. Slow down. Slow down, speedy heart. Slow down, speedy mind. Silence all of these wild animals that are chanting for your attention and listen to this one still soft voice right now. It might be, mean just getting on your knees for a moment. Do something to shift at us, but practice the presence of God. God is always with us, and that's what we're trying to remember. Have you guys ever heard the expression, we must practice our faith? Absolutely, that's true, but I think the flip of that phrase is true as well. We all must learn to faith our practices. To faith our practices. What would it look like To look at social media in a different way, right? I'll get back to this in a moment. What would it look like for for our work and our play to be saturated in the reality that God is actually with us? What would it look like for our mornings to be with God, for our evenings to be spent with God, for our work, our play, all of the in-betweens to be saturated, to be faithed in this reality that God is with us, God is near? These things involve all of our lives. There's no spiritless places or spiritless practices in our lives. All should be under the spirit's jurisdiction. We are never alone. Third one, trust in the spirit to grow and cultivate in you what you can't on your own. Trust in the spirit to grow and cultivate in you what you can't on your own. We've talked about certain things that we can do on our own strength in our lives to facilitate this dependence on God to cooperate with God, to make this kind of this opening in a sense. But we also need to recognize there are things in our lives that we cannot control, that only the Spirit can do. I want to mention two of these things that He can do in our lives that we can't do for ourselves. The first thing is the fruit of the Spirit. We cannot grow the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. And two, He gives us the gifts of the Spirit. So the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. Uh, First, the Spirit grows His fruit in us so that we can look like Jesus. Galatians 5, 22 through 23. I'm going to read what the fruit of the Spirit are. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It sounds a whole lot like social media, doesn't it? it? Sounds like Facebook to me. Just kidding. Imagine if we engage with others with Love with joy, with peace, with patience, with kindness, with goodness, with faithfulness, with gentleness, and self-control. If we were this sort of people, these things are fruit of the Spirit. These things are not fruit of our willpower. They're not fruit of our like white knuckling our way into these realities. Our role is what is to abide in the Spirit to take on the practices of Jesus we mentioned above, and then in turn, trust the Holy Spirit to shape us to look like him, to taste like him, to smell like him. We cannot do this on our own, but we can't cooperate with his work in our lives. Even that understanding of keep in step with the Spirit is this picture of this, almost this marching band. We wanna keep in step with him. What is the Spirit doing? I want to do that. So when I get on social media, I can be a loving person. I can be a gentle person. I can have self-control and not respond immediately and be like, dah, dah, dah. We want to be full of the fruit of the Spirit, but we need to abide in Jesus in order to do that. Sometimes I wish I could speed all this up, like a branch dependent on the vine. The reality is we can't form the blossoms. We can't force the fruit out, right? We're like, come on, fruit grow! If I'm honest, uh, in my marriage... As a father, I long to see the fruit of the Spirit in my life, and I just can't force it out. When I, I light my candle, I'm drinking my, like, single-origin pour-over cup of coffee. It's amazing, right? And suddenly my kids wake up, right? I'm like, girls, stop it! Hey! And all of a sudden I'm like, why am I, like, the worst dad in the world? I'm talking to my wife, and it's like, why are you talking like me to that? Well, why are you talking like that? Because you're talking to me like that. And then we're like, Ah! How are we such like awful roommates to one another? I want to be full of the Spirit. And yet I can't tape those things on. I can't staple those things on. Our role is to abide in the Spirit. Say, God, shape me. Grow those things in me because I can't grow them on my own. We need to be patient and allow for that growth. Uh, secondly, the Spirit gives us His spiritual gifts so that others can look like Jesus too. This is a seriously underdeveloped muscle for us here at Park, particularly the more charismatic gifts. Uh, we are continuationists as a church. We believe that all the gifts of the Spirit that we see in the New Testament, both miraculous and non miraculous, are still operative and essential for life and for ministry. Uh, Sam Storms defines spiritual gifts like this. Spiritual gifts are nothing less than God himself in us, energizing our souls, imparting revelation to our minds, infusing power in our wills, and working his sovereign and gracious purposes through us. Spiritual gifts are God present in, with, and through human thoughts, human deeds, human words, human love. Gifts are God going public among his people. Gifts are God going public among his people. 1 Corinthians 14.1 teaches us that we are to eagerly desire the gifts, especially that we would prophesy. Uh, we just had Christmas, so I think all of us understand a little bit about desire and gifts. If you desire a gift, you can add it to your Christmas list, you can put it on your Amazon wish list, but it's up to someone else to gift you that thing, right? In God's wisdom, God thought it kind and a good thing to gift his church with spiritual gifts. But just like the fruit of the Spirit, we cannot create these gifts, but we can create a safe environment to practice them in our gospel communities or on Sundays. And this is the reality. As these spiritual gifts are exercised in biblical ways, we find the church being built up. We see those outside of the church um, hearing about Jesus, and it's a faithful witness to them. And ultimately, God is glorified. Just like we want to be spirit-reliant individuals, we also want to be a spirit-reliant church. And I want to end today by saying this. This spirit-filled Christianity that I'm talking to each of you today about, it's not meant to be Christianity 201 or 301. This is 101. This is 101. This is our milk. This is our bread and butter. It's our meat and potatoes. It's the basics. This sort of life is not just for some mystic coming out in some distant monastery It's not for like the Pentecostal denomination down the street with people swinging off the chandeliers, blowing shofars, speaking in tongues while waving banners, right? That's not what we're talking about. That's not just the ones that are saying, yeah, that's for them. That's not what we're talking. This is for the daughter and son of God. This is for all of us. This is our birthright. This is our inheritance. And so many of us have shunned it. So many of us have turned away from it. We've misunderstood it. We've thought as an optional extra of the faith. And yet, as we saw in the word of God, the spirit-filled, spirit-dependent life was not an optional extra for Jesus, and it can't be an optional extra for us today. Let's pray. Uh, Jesus, we confess to you that we are so often not reliant on you, uh, that we don't abide in you in ways that we long to. See, we grieve your Holy Spirit. We don't walk by the Spirit. We're self-reliant people, and yet we want to be a Spirit-reliant people. We want to be a people who live by the Spirit, who are filled with the Spirit, who keep in step with you as you're leading us. And so, Jesus, we thank you for your Holy Spirit, we thank you that you said it's to your advantage that I leave and that I send you the helper. And so helper, we ask for help today. Helper, would you help us live dependently on you in this next year? We want to be a people who rely on you, who treasure you, who walk in step with you. And pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.